Hello, and welcome to the Tech Dirt Podcast. I'm Mike Mosnick. The world is increasingly technological, so we have better get methodical. Bringing precision to critical digital journalism with the singular vision of the modern monocle. Stopping the copyright bullies from pulling the wall on us. Facing and taking on all the plates to pay to troll. Document the ways that they aim to take control. Scrutinize and build their lies and make them fold. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get hurt. To grab a shovel and dig up the tech. In media circles these days, one of the biggest topics, uh, for fairly obvious reasons, I think, is the future of media itself and the various challenges that news organizations are facing. There are a variety of big trends that have all come together at once, and many media organizations are struggling mightily, or in some cases, unfortunately, shutting down entirely. Now, this is a topic that I'm very interested in for a whole variety of reasons, not the least of which is that I sort of run a media organization that is dealing with many of these challenges directly myself. Um, But it's also in the same vein as other industry challenges that we've written about and covered over the years, such as the music business or the book business or the movie business. Uh, It feels a bit right now as though we're in something of the blame phase of this particular cycle, uh, at least from my vantage point, with many people wanting to blame Google and Facebook for the challenges facing news orgs. Uh, For a little while there, it was Craigslist that everyone was blaming, but uh, everyone seems to have forgotten about them. Uh, My feelings on this keep shifting, and I sort of keep trying to think through it all, but I still think that, uh, as we've seen in other industries, that new business models and new opportunities will be discovered, and we will eventually look back at this period with a slightly bemused retrospective retrospective vision, uh, wondering why we were all so so freaked out. Um, But uh, I will say that I may be alone (laughs) in that belief, and not many people seem to agree with me on that. Uh, One who disagrees, I think, uh, as someone who I respect quite a bit, and that is Emily Bell, who is the director at the Tao Center for Digital Journalism at Columbia Journalism School. And prior to that, she worked for many years at the Guardian and Observer newspapers, including as editor-in-chief of its online operations, and uh, was also on the board of directors for The Guardian. Uh, Now, she has been thinking very deeply about these issues for a very long time as well. uh, And she also has an excellent podcast called Tricky, which is all about discussing these issues. Uh, And Recently, she wrote for the Columbia Journalism Review about how various governments around the world are now suggesting that there is no good business model for journalism and that governments, to some extent, need to uh, fund journalism directly. Uh, And she also recently tweeted that she's come to the conclusion that the free market uh, cannot support journalism, uh, which was a statement that I took a little bit of issue with, (laughs) which uh, leads us to this particular podcast and Emily kindly agreeing to come on and uh, talk through that idea. Now, I should say up front um, that I do believe very strongly that this is one of those situations uh, that doesn't have any easy answer. And uh, as I said earlier, I respect Emily and her thinking on the subject and have followed her over the years. uh, And even if I think I might disagree with her on this point. Uh, But as with all situations where there are no easy answers, I think there's tremendous value in talking through why that is and the various thoughts and viewpoints. And that is the intent of today's episode. So Emily, thank you very much for joining us. 
Thank you so much for having me on, Mike. It's great um, to be on a fellow podcaster's podcaster <laughs> again without um, without putting the listeners off too much. I greatly respect your work as well, so I'm looking <laughs> forward. I'm looking forward to see seeing where we can take this disagreement, as they say. Sure, sure. And now I, uh, you know. Uh, premise this entire conversation on the, the fact that I'm, I'm disagreeing with your your premise. Uh, and so far, I've been able to monopolize the opening of this discussion. And I know that also Twitter is hardly the right place for n nuanced explanations. Uh, so yes, as, uh, as Jack Dorsey recently found out. Yes, exactly. Uh, so I will hand the microphone over to you to uh, give you uh, however much time you would like to, to, to explain your, your thinking, especially on sort of the free market and journalism uh, uh, and, and whether or not they're compatible. So uh, the sure microphone's thing. all yours. Thanks, Mike. It's, please don't give me as much time as I want, otherwise we'll still be here in an hour and a half. So I'll try and keep I'll try and keep my opening comments brief. Um, so I guess you know the first thing, which is very obvious to listeners, is that I'm European and I come from Britain. And I, and I spent a lot of my working life at the Guardian, which is a very unusual media organisation in that it's backed um, by a trust, um, which is a kind of an endowment. So I guess I've gone from there to an American institution, Columbia University, which is also backed by an endowment. So it's fair to say that I have a, a perhaps a too positive view of what non-profits um, can bring to particularly sort of civic problems. And I see, you know, the provision of journalism as a civic problem. Um, what really surprised me when I got to the States um, eight years ago, and I should have known this because I'd written about media for a long time, was just how much the absence of any um, intervention in the market by government support or government funding affected media. And you have NPR, you have PBS. The amount of money that they actually take from federal government is tiny. It's about $400 million a year. You compare that to, say, the BBC in the UK, which is a much smaller country uh, in terms of population, and you have um, $5 billion a year going to this cultural journalistic organisation, which incidentally is argued over almost all the time. So I would agree with you, there are no easy answers here. Um, and, and one thing that, but one thing that um, became clear to me uh, over the first two or three years I was here was that American, um, the American philosophy of what, what uh, constitutes success in any operation tends to revolve around profit. Um, and that's very different from, I think, some of the European sensibilities. And I found this really puzzling in relation to journalism, because if you work in journalism for any sort of period of time, you will know or will have observed that actually the pursuit of profit doesn't make journalism better, it makes it worse. So if you look at perhaps one of the most successful journalistic organisations at the moment, it's Fox News. Um, they make tremendous profits and they bring in a huge amount of revenue. Uh, but I don't know that in terms of their prime time shows that do the really big numbers that anyone would say it's the kind of journalism that we should be seeking to emulate. It's not really public service journalism. It's highly opinionated. It's very entertaining. It's extremely well produced. Um, so, 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 so I've always had this sort of overwhelming sense that good journalism doesn't necessarily come from profit-seeking or profit-making organisations, and I guess you could say that's a BBC sort of prejudice. But in the last five years, something more fundamental has happened in the US market, which is you've started to experience at local level 
uh, really complete market failure. So in other words, you're losing newspapers. Everyone knows the figure of, or I hope they know the figure that uh, local news staff or, or newsroom staff has halved um, in the last decade. Uh, you have towns now that are not covered um, by any kind of independent uh, journalism. Um, and this has become a crisis that we talk about all the time. And how do we fix this? Uh, for a long time, we thought, well, Maybe it's just because news companies are not very good at the internet and they don't really understand how to make their businesses work in this new environment. And if only they were a bit more um, innovative, uh, they would find that they could find that, that, that they would develop their own business models. Then along came, I suppose, smartphones and Google and Facebook were really good at aggregating the data that they collect from your uh, activity, particularly your mobile activity. And they were really good at selling advertising to people um, on the basis of uh, what they knew about the audiences. So we have this sort of problem of dwindling um, advertising revenue going to news organizations at the same time that you have the new publishers or the new gatekeepers of information um, actually doing pretty well out of the advertising model. That leaves us with this huge problem about who provides a, a, a business model particularly for small-scale and local reporting. I don't really see why America is so uh, set against the idea of some kind of hypothecated tax or government you know, endowment or mechanism for taking money from uh, the private sector and helping provide journalism at particularly local level. We don't complain about the police being funded by the government. We don't complain about the fire service being uh, <laughs> provided by the government. Journalism is a key component of democracy. And yet somehow we would rather not have it than have it funded by a central authority. So there, that was, okay. quite, a lot. That was quite long, but I'm done. <laughs> no, that was great. That was perfect. And, and, and I mean, that's, that's interesting to think about. And I certainly have never thought of journalism as being the equivalent of sort of, you know, police or fire department. So it's interesting for me to sort of process that uh, as I think about it. I think, you know, the concern that that many of us have with that line of thinking is just that, you know, part of the role of journalists um, and especially local journalists is to, you know, keep the government itself honest and to you know, uh, to be investigating the government and sort of tying up the possibility that it is the government that has some hand in in funding journalism and choosing which organizations and who and how much uh, money goes in that direction raises a pretty serious conflict of interest issue there. Yeah, I think you're right. So, so first of all, you're completely right about that. And I think a lot of this comes down to how do we think about setting those instruments up? And, mm -hmm. you know, the license fee for the BBC is a weird thing. It's a it's a royal charter, because we always like to get the Queen involved whenever we can. <laughs> um, it's passed and administered by Parliament, but it is theoretically independent. You know, there is an arm's length relationship between the government and the BBC. They certainly are not allowed to, or supposedly not allowed to have any say over... Uh, what kind of coverage it does, um, though inevitably its news coverage does become sort of highly 
politicised, if you like, because you have government ministers saying we think the BBC should have less money if, if, if its line or if they perceive its line is, is generally against them. So there are definitely problems with this. But I think it's like, you know, I'm not advocating for state controlled media. Um, there are so many different models that you could look at that would would work in um, a, a kind of an arm's length way. So you could look at an, a, an entirely independently administered fund uh, where the revenues that flow into it come from some kind of taxation on either, uh, well, probably uh, on advertising uh, or the platform uh, revenues um, and a, a separate mechanism for, for, for dispersing it. The thing that really sort of bothers me, Mike, is this: that we are we are in a kind of a crisis. You know, we have a democratic crisis at the moment in the in the U.S. And by that, I mean, I don't think people really fully understand how the information that they consume gets to them. Mm -hmm. um, I think they feel that they're very uninformed or underinformed at local level often. Uh, I think they feel that there's a lack of trust in the um, media in general and journalism, as we know, is under attack from many people, including the president. Uh, so, so it's pretty bad, I would say, at the moment. Now, you know, how would, um, if you like, supported local journalism, even at a small scale, how would how would that have made things worse? Because I think, you know, what I can't really accept is this idea that where America is at the moment is um, a better position to be in than the position of, say, European countries where mm -hmm. you have democracies, but you also have uh, state media and, and sorry, um, public media. Sure. And, and I kind of get the argument that says, supposing you get a dictatorship that takes over the media, then it's really terrible. Well, you know, I've got I've got news for those people, which is dictatorships take over the media, whatever the pre-existing <laughs> business model. <laughs> or Orban in Hungary did not particularly care that um, he did not care that uh, it was privately owned media. He just gave mm -hmm. it to his cronies, right? So, so it's a, it's it's uh, I there are I, I know where you're coming from, um, but I, I simply don't see some of the dangers and that may just be cultural kind of dissonance yeah, on my part it, it, it might be but so so in thinking about this though right i mean so if, if you look back sort of historically um at and, and there are different types of media and, and i guess it's 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 and everyone does this and 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 we're going to do it just by default and, and maybe we shouldn't. But I mean, there are different kinds of media, right? I mean, you have sort of the national media and, you know, obviously like at the federal level, there's plenty of uh, coverage going on of the administration and, and everything that's that's going on there. We can argue about how good it is and where it, where it has its problems. But if we're talking about local media, which is where I think, you know, you're saying, and, and I agree, the crisis is, is a lot more pronounced, right? Mm -hmm. Um, but if we look at local media historically, right, and, and the business model that they had, I mean, a lot of it was sort of driven by, you know, local advertising. You know, right. it, it's you're bringing together a community that is that covers this small town or this county or this small city or whatever. And there are businesses that are local to that community that know that they want to reach people in that community. So they'll go to their store or they'll, you know, uh, patronize their business, whatever it is. And... And and that 
still exists, right? I mean, there are right. still sort of local yep. endemic advertisers that, that sort of make sense for, for local media. Why is that falling down? Well, so that's falling down because for $10, you can reach everybody in your potential audience through Google or through, or if you want a nice picture of um, your product, product, you can reach them through Facebook way more efficiently than if you put um, an advert in your local media. And I think it's worth saying that there is something that was really imperfect about the model that you're describing as well, Mike, which is, you know, we, we, we kind of look at back, back at it now with the kind of golden ageism. But let's remember that this came out of a monopoly that the local press would have had mm-hmm. over advertising bandwidth. Um, often it shut people out of the market who couldn't afford to advertise. Yeah. Uh, there's, there, there's a lot that was wrong with that model of monopoly. And, and as soon as the monopoly over distribution went, and it went because of the internet, then inevitably the advertising model was going to be difficult. And what's made it particularly difficult is just this idea that you can target to a really close um, degree people who might want to buy your product. So now if I had a local business, I would much more likely be on Facebook and I would be spending, you know, $100, $200 instead of in the local paper where I might be paying, you know, two or $300 for the same kind of advertising that was much less effective. So, right. So, I mean, there is an argument that more efficient, less wasteful advertising is, is a good thing overall yeah. and and certainly better for on the consumer side. Um but so your argument is though, but that that then fails the news business. Yeah, so so, so it's nobody's fault. I'm I'm not a great one for blaming um, sure. Facebook. Actually, I am quite a great one for blaming Facebook and Google <laughs> for all the world's ills. But I, it was inevitable that this um, chokehold on advertising was good, that the model was going to change with digital. And I think for a long time, the press were complacent about it. Um, and by the time they stopped being complacent, it was too late. Uh, so you, you said in your very good intro, um, we've, we're entering a, a kind of a blame game, finger pointing phase of this discussion. I, I would really hope we're moving through that to say mm-hmm. it doesn't really matter at this point whose fault it was. It matters much more what we're going to do about it. And I, you know, I, 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 I'm quite pessimistic about the outlook for um, particularly smaller scale journalism, even though there are great organise out organizations out there doing great work um and some of them are really thriving it's such a patchy picture uh Mm -hmm. that we need something now which will mend the uh deficit uh, that's been created by advertising going away and i think that you know we, we can waste a lot of time by saying if only Google or Facebook were different in how they deliver their advertising. They're not going to be different. And what's more, we've now got Amazon starting to be an advertising vector for the first time. So um, I was reading somewhere the other day uh, that, you know, kind of Amazon is now sort of just creeping into that sort of digital advertising sector. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's really sort of got the potential to be, competition for Facebook and Google. Um, but then when you consider your local media <laughs> within that, the really the, the, the alternative to advertising for them is to get readers to pay. 
So a lot of the discussion in the press and in the boardrooms of newspaper companies has been about this pivot to readers and how can we get people to actually pay for the journalism and pay for the publishing um, when they've become incredibly used to lots of free and quite, quite often useful content on the web. Um, and that's that's going to be that's going to be a solution for some of the businesses. Um, it's definitely a solution for places like the New York Times and the Washington Post. But if you're a news organisation serving a poor area with a small population, mm-hmm. that's also not going to work. So I think that when I said before we really have complete market failure, I, I do believe that. I'm not sure, um, you know, where. So, so, so if you like, I could turn it back on you, Mike, and say, <laughs> if we accept that the advertising market is actually is gone from media, um, and particularly small scale media, and if we accept that there are certain parts of the country where probably people will not pay enough for the journalism to support good journalism, then then what is the answer? Sure. Yeah, and, and well, I mean, I would I would challenge the givens <laughs> in, right. that, in that case. I mean, I. I I agree that the advertising market has gone sort of um, gone in a, a weird direction, which is not the best adjective probably for that. Um, but I I actually I I think the pendulum has swung too far um, in, in this focus on you know programmatic targeted advertising. I think that we're reaching a point where companies will begin to realize that it's actually not as valuable as they think it is, the advertisers mainly. Um, That for all the promise of Google and Facebook putting the right ad in front of the right people at the right time, that it is not nearly as effective as uh, they would like you to believe and that that everyone seems to talk about. Now, this may be wishful thinking on my part, um, and I could be wrong about that. um, And some of it may be just the fact that you know, I, I don't personally find ads that effective. So maybe I'm, I'm using an anecdote of one, which is a bad practice. <laughs> um, but I, I actually do believe that there is still space for better, smarter advertising practices, especially for, um, you know, for, for organizations or websites or, you know, whether, or, you know, paper newspapers that really focus on building a strong community around it that believes in them. And I think that, um, you know, if you have uh, a, a group of people who, you know, identify with each other and identify with the community and believe and support the community, that that is always going to be a better place uh, for an advertiser to put an ad than hoping that, uh, Facebook or Google's algorithm will drop the right, uh, you know, thing into their feed at the right time. Now, again, that could be wishful thinking. And so part of my argument is that I think a lot of news organizations in particular have really failed on that front in terms of actually, uh, investing in and in supporting and building up a community aspect to what they do. And, and I've made this argument before where I think that a lot of news organizations, uh, you know, uh, believe that they're in the news business when they're really always in the community business. Um, yeah, you see, I'm going to I'm going to push back a tiny bit. I figured you might. I'm really hoping both that um, my friend and colleague uh, Jeff Jarvis isn't listening and I'm also secretly <laughs> hoping he is listening because this will make his <laughs> this will make him explode. Um, so there's a lot of talk about community and engagement yeah. being the thing 
which will solve for news. And part of that, I think, is just good reporting. I think that really good yes. newspapers have always had reporters in the community who are recognisable and are trusted to a certain extent because they do good work and they report good stories. I think we have to remember that news organisations are there to bring accountability and that's not always what communities want. Um, so if you're engaging, as uh, we've seen uh, newspapers do in the past, with a community that's exceptionally racist or a community that has um, perhaps corrupt business going on in it, the people that you are covering, who are your community, are also the people that need to be held to account. And so whilst I think you're right that news organisations have not been good enough at reporting and understanding how the internet has changed that reporting relationship and therefore they should be more um, cognizant of what's going on in their communities and they should perhaps conduct themselves in a slightly better way. I think building, you know, bu building closeness with communities is a double-edged sword for many reporting organizations i mean i'll give you i'll just give you a sort of concrete example which is if you have a factory in your town uh which is polluting the river and it employs 500 people it should be shut down but 500 people are going to lose their jobs and we see this you know we see the sort of push me pull you of this um like what is what is in general good for society as opposed to what is good for the consumers that buy the newspaper um, in lots of communities where you have those tensions. And I think really good reporters understand that and they report, if you like, you know, what the economic consequences are, what the environmental consequences are, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but you, you, it's sometimes very difficult, I think, to put the community as the one thing you must always be sort of, if you like, serving. Because See, there are compete, you know, there are compete, yeah. there are really competing um, interests, even within those kind of quite small communities. Yes, and 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 I agree one hundred percent with that. But but I think we're talking about slightly different things, and and they're similar, but they're slightly adjacent, and not the exact same thing. Which is, oh. I, I'm talking about, you know, um, creating a community or a place where a community can can exist, right. whereas you're talking about being serving the community and those are not exactly the same thing so right? that's so that is i think a really interesting thing that you've hit on there where just unpack that a bit for me mm -hmm. what, do, what do you mean by that sure so so and and you know it's not it's not necessarily easy to unpack but but i guess what, what i'm arguing is that you know i think when done right you know bringing together people in a community and and for the sake of this argument we'll talk about sort of local areas but you know it certainly could apply to to topic areas or, or you know uh, other types of communities um you know when done right you know you could set up a, a space for this discussion so for example when talking about um something such as a, a factory that is polluting that should be closed but will will cost jobs right you can have that you could you know set up a newspaper to have that as a as a discussion about that that is reporting those things accurately and laying out the pros and cons of of everything that's going on and having those views in a way that is not 
dismissive or insulting, but that is accurately portraying what is going on. And I think that you know, obviously not everyone is going to agree with that. And the idea is not to make everyone in the community happy, but to be accurately representing what is happening um, and to be a place, you know, or, you know, to be sort of creating a space that um, the people in the community, whether they agree or not, are, are sort of interested in following what is happening and participating where there are opportunities to participate. I, I think you can still set that up without um, sort of, you know, bowing down to the interests of the community and, and, and feeling, you know, pressure, you know, and, and, and again, like, to some extent, I mean, there's an argument that, that, you know, if you're going to fund journalism, money is coming from somewhere and you're always going to have some concerns about, you know, are there any strings attached with any money? And so if, you know, and, and that's true no matter what the model is. So if the money is coming from the government, I mean, my my first response to you was there are concerns about sort of the, the, the potential strings attached to that. But, you know, the same question is raised when there are advertisers and the strings attached to advertising money. And so now we're talking about like, are there sort of strings attached to, to, you know, setting up a community or a space where the community can exist. Um, I, I find that to be, you know, even less likely than, than the strings attached to, to, right. to large well, advertisers or the government. So, so, so I think you might be right about that. And I think this is a really fascinating area, which I completely agree. I hate to agree on what's meant to be an <laughs> argument, but I completely agree with everything that you said. And I think that idea of reconstructing a kind of public commons has to be something that we tackle um, mm -hmm. because it's really not right at the moment. It's and, and these spaces do exist, but they tend to be Facebook groups. Sure. Um, and we've been doing you know research on this for some time, and we're finding that a lot of the t type of civic activity that you're talking about or that conversation is now owned by and takes place within large um, private, you know, yep platforms <laughs> so, so 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 it's already kind of happening but it's happening in the commercial space um i think one of the problems which is which that, which i should say suggests that there is some sort of business model associated with it right? well there is a business model associated with it but it, the question is whether or not it can work at a, a different scale to say sure. facebook's so it yeah. works for facebook because they have you know two billion people on the platform um, and they can cross-match and, and mix all that data, and they can um, sell the insights from it to advertisers, or they can sell access to it um, at some point if they want to um, to the users. I think I think that, and they can do so much more effectively than a small news organisation. And this is where that real tension happens, right? Which is, we actually do have these big platforms of. Um, exchange which can kind of sort people into small civic groups etc and they're pretty good you know they're pretty efficient and and just as you're nervous about the government getting involved i look at facebook and google and think these are now the lifelines to local news both companies have moved about 300 million each into supporting journalism in the last year they've made those announcements facebook just made this announcement sort of a, a, a month or so ago um, it's a drop in the bucket. It's a tiny amount of money, but mm -hmm. they are providing direct support for for journalism. They are creating tools for people to have these discussions on, and yet they are also, in the case of Google, putting um, fiber in the ground. Uh, they're providing uh, software applications for 
governments and hospitals and schools and businesses they want to put non-drive you know they want to put driverless cars on the road Mm -hmm. you you know these are these are these companies are so large they're a kind of an outgrowth of government um, power in the rest of the world you know they have a a role which is not the same as just an ordinary commercial company Um, and and they control a lot of our data so so the community aspect of this and how we get those businesses to rebuild um, at the moment you know we're outsourcing that to some pretty unaccountable and very opaque uh, communications businesses um, yeah. so, so I don't I, d- I don't think you're wrong I think that it would be great I would love to see uh, news organizations doing all of this work for themselves but I don't and, know that it's I don't know that it's possible yeah I, I mean so so I'm thinking through this right and I you know I think um, reality so far is on your side, right? I mean, that is the way things have developed. <laughs> I but, love but... it when reality is on my side. It happens so rarely. <laughs> right. So I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak up for Fantasyland. <laughs> there's an element that, that – and, and maybe this is all in my head and maybe I'm missing something and there's some, some element that, that I, I just can't see. It feels to me that, you know, for whatever communities that have developed on – Facebook and and on the community side, it's certainly more Facebook than, than Google. And and yeah, I mean, there's I mean, there's other companies like Nextdoor, right? And yeah. and that do local communities or topics and, and things like that. Um, but if, if it feels to me like an organization that is truly local and is really based in that community and where everyone who works there lives and works in that community and understands that community should be in a position to build a better set up for a community that really reflects the the interests of that community and 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 maybe that's it's pure fantasy land because it hasn't really happened or uh, well i mean you say it hasn't really happened i think what's really interesting is that if you look back not that far you did have mm-hmm. things like libraries which have sure they still from, exist. From, from, <laughs> I, I go to mine all the time. <laughs> well, they, you're doing God's work, Mike, in going, in going to the local library. But but we did have these communal spaces, um, yeah. and they've struggled in a world where everything is basically kind of aggregated into a big online shop or lending so, but, space. I mean, but there is this element, and, and, and again, maybe this is wishful thinking, but I kind of feel like maybe there is this sort of pendulum effect where everyone is sort of, you know, jumped onto the big the big internet companies for now and at a certain point they'll realize that that is not as satisfying or as useful as as more local organizations um and i i i i again i, I, I feel like <laughs> i would love i would love this to be true and i would hope and i would hope it can be and i think that the strategy that you're um, and your instincts on this are completely right. But I don't think the funding is going to come from a commercial source for that. And here's something else, which I'm, I've just thought of. So, but, but <laughs> which I, it's ones. kind of been rattling around in the back of my brain. Um, and I actually, I, I started to think about it today uh, as people got very angry about CNN hiring a mm-hmm. GOP operative to be its news editor, which is when you have public funding, you do have a level of accountability that you just don't have with private 
companies. And we always think of the negative, if you like, and, and, and how that relates to news. So, you know, we do not want the government interfering in what, right. you know, we don't want them breaking the First Amendment and interfering in what news organisations do. Um, but but we don't sort of also think about perhaps if, if there is some public funding um, and you know, NPR is a really great example of this, which incidentally has done really well over the past 15 years. It's, it's actually been remarkably resilient against yeah. um, the rise of uh, uh, the, the internet platforms. Um, but if you really want accountability, then the idea that something is a public asset and that it should be better is very powerful. Um, and I've noticed that in the UK, one of the reasons the BBC gets so beaten up is because everybody feels like they own it. But what there, you know, what there is in the UK and what there has been for a long time is a public conversation about how the BBC's journalism should work, about mm -hmm. what kinds of things make for um, good coverage or good programming and what kinds of things. Um, and, and it's a conversation that helps us thrash out norms and, and brings us closer together and, and, and allows us to have those disagreements around something which is, is communally held. And yeah. so, I, so I, I do think that we just think about, you know, in, in America, the thought of government money, people don't think, well, it's not just government, it's public money, it's ours. Yeah. And, yeah. and we get we get a say in this now. I think it's I don't want all of journalism to be funded that way. It would be that would be a terrible idea. But I think that a component of that right now would be incredibly beneficial for the whole field. But I mean, you know, if we look at the example of NPR, um, which you brought up and you said is, is good and resilient, you look at that and, and you know, it, it does get some government money. But as you mentioned earlier, it's actually a relatively small amount. But you know, NPR has you know, and and specifically, its member stations, right, have done a really good job of of what I was discussing, community. Like, you know, I'm very familiar with like out here KQED, which you know is sort of my local uh, NPR affiliate, and and it has sort of built up community, and it has done two things very well in terms of you know convincing a whole bunch of people to donate a bunch of money, and also to get you know sponsorships um, from various organizations who want to be associated with. Uh, you know, with the the local NPR community, and you know I, that, and and yes, it's structured as a nonprofit, but it still strikes me as it's basically doing everything that I was talking about, and there's right. no reason why but, other organizations can't uh, but, do similar. But then the re but then it's not going to scale. So the NPR model is not going to scale without some more of that central support. So I think maybe you're right that actually you have the model. But then maybe I'm right because, <laughs> or maybe we're both right. It would be great to really, <laughs> great to reach a position where we're both right. Sure. That that, that actually, when the re, you know the really resilient model is something like an NPR, um, or, or NPR type model, but it just mm -hmm. can't extend far enough because it relies on. I mean, you know, the, the the other problem with NPR is that people like you and I really love it. And, um, you know, I'm constantly giving money to uh, my friend Jim Schachter at uh, WNYC uh, because I love it so much. Um, but we have to have a bit more of a, a, a sort of a, a redistributive model, if you like. So we have to have... Um, you know, the wealthy middle class paying for media um, to happen in places where they don't necessarily live and also where they're not necessarily kind of interested in the stories. Um, and, and, and NPR or PBS is a great model for that. It's just not big enough.
Yeah, uh, maybe. Uh, you know, but I do think that there are interesting lessons there, and I'm not convinced that it it can't do that more widely. Or, you know, I mean, in the case of of NPR and PBS, where you sort of have a, a sort of um, you know affiliate uh, and central hub model, and there is some money distributed between those two, and I'm not entirely sure I understand how or know that model well enough to actually opine on it right now. But, but you know, there are ways that, that that can be done. You can have different, like, you know, associations in terms of um, perhaps redistributing money that is, is raised in one area to an area that is more needy, right, that, that could be set up that doesn't necessarily seem, um, you know, that to to require you know, public funding or something like that. I, I don't know. I mean, maybe maybe it does. I, but I just kind of I look at things like the Green New Deal um, and mm-hmm. all the problems that it brings with it, but also all the also the amazing kind of aspiration it brings with it as well. And then you look at what the country has gone through in the last ten years economically. Yep. You look at two thousand eight. Uh, actually, that's eleven years ago. But you know, you you look at everything since really the the the, the um. Uh, great recession um and you look at uh, the state of political communications and the sure. state of a lot of commercial journalism right now you know we ought to be thinking about our information environment in the same way that we think about our climate and we really ought to be thinking about how we rebuild it in a better and yeah. more ambitious way um and i as i say I, it could be that private money and commercial money and profit is the right way to do this. But I just feel that, you know, there's a big opportunity here to do something which makes people more involved, uh, more invested in it, um, that gives uh, basic on the ground reporting some support when everything goes wrong in the market, Mm -hmm. but that also encourages a new kind of attitude towards journalism. Um, and, and I would love to think that Google and Facebook, actually, I wouldn't love to think that Google and Facebook are going to do that because it's so unhealthy. We cannot have no. big corporations, I think, I directly mean, funding journalism in the same way that we do at the moment. I would far rather it was government subsidy where at least you can vote the government out than I would. <laughs> you know, than I, I mean, it's sort of like yeah. I've never been in a place. So America, the other thing that shocked me when I got here was nobody. I've never been to a country where people talk more about democracy but have less <laughs> trust in the election. To government. Uh, I don't know. I think Mike, we could. I think that this. You know. I think this is a. This is something where we could be so much more ambitious than we yeah. are at the moment. And we're just thinking about if only we could fix the business model. I think we have to go way beyond that. Yeah, and and and, and I think that's completely fair. I mean, I, I think that um, some of my concern is that you know setting it up where it's sort of the government comes in and, and rescues and, and in some sense also could could have some pretty significant downsides including actually more resentment towards the news and and you look at the people who let's say <laughs> not disagree sure you could have more resentment towards oh oh news. oh don't do not underestimate the ability to have resentment towards the news uh and and you know and and on the flip side of that like you know, thinking big and thinking ambitiously about these things, like that is, I'm, you know, going to put on my, my uh, free market capitalist hat here. Like that's, that's something that, that the free market tends to actually do fairly well and that it, it gives people incentives to think big and try different things and, and, and take chances and throw a whole bunch of stuff at the wall to see what works. Um, and, it, and I, it, I have more faith in, in, in that sort of level of experimentation, figuring it out. And I, I worry about 
us sort of overreacting to uh, you know an admittedly bad situation that we're in now um, by sort of you know locking in a model that I don't necessarily know will be the best. I'm just I'm just desperate to turn everywhere into a version <laughs> of a more functional Europe. So <laughs> and trying trying to get my own back. Um, but, but the I you know I, I I'm kind of. I'm really struck by where public media came from in Europe, which is it came yeah. on the back of a really terrible, to not just one um, war, but two wars that killed, yeah. um, you know, 100 million people or whatever it was. Really sort of a terrible, terrible, terrible um, period in history. Uh, and it came out of this idea that we have to do better and we have to build a kind of a, a system that works for everybody and we have to think about mixing these models up. I, I look at capitalism and what it's done to journalism in the last 20 years, and I'm not that impressed, I have to say. I think, you know, the entrepreneurialism in it has, has, has been often sort of misguided or placed in the wrong way. I think when you look at um, the really successful uh entities that have thrived there are a few of them that are excellent but there are also a lot of them that are actually um, pretty toxic and that sure. perpetuate models of journalism that i would much rather see an end to rather than yeah. that becoming the, the the dominant model of what we do yeah but but to be fair i mean some of the people who support those models would like to see the end to the the, the ones you do like right so so th there is you know it is it is there is a, a basis for like yes if if people you know, the the right people are in charge, then good things happen. But if the wrong people are, bad things could happen. Well, that's, and, that, that is true in business <laughs> and in government. Yeah, but as I yeah, say... No, that, that is absolutely, absolutely true. And, you know, uh, I, I just think that, like, you know, when when you see a lot of experimentation happening, not all of it is good. And I think that, I think it is important, and I've talked about this for years, obviously, that you know, looking at the negative consequences of of innovation and and what happens in markets is is really important. But I worry about the idea of sort of ignoring the 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 good things that that market and competition can set up. I, uh, I agree. I'm going to have one last okay. go before I leave to to. to convince you on this which is um when i was at the guardian for 10 years we won tons of awards for the innovation yep. that we did and we had an amazing kind of run there um places like channel 4 in the uk places like ProPublica over here have won stacks of awards for innovation yep. the bbc won stacks of awards for innovation I, weirdly a lot of innovation actually happens when you don't have commercial risk hanging over your head look at the washington post now that jeff bezos owns it and they don't have to worry about profitability it's kind of absolutely on fire um look at the new york times which is protected to some extent by family ownership way more innovative than uh, some of the purely commercially owned companies. So, I, you know, I think that innovation happens when people feel free to innovate. And I know that Silicon Valley says uh, it's, you know, innovate a lot, fail often, embrace failure. I'm not sure how much they do embrace failure. <laughs> but, I, but I think it's worth saying that in civic services like journalism, um, those things happen as much, if not more, in, in, in sectors which are not profit-seeking than in ones that are. Okay. Uh, well, 
I will let you have the last word on that. Uh, but this is a really interesting conversation. I'm sure we could go on for, for much, much longer, but I think both of us need to run. Uh, but I certainly enjoyed this conversation and uh, definitely should continue it at some point, have you back on the podcast. And, uh, we'd, and I'm we'd sure we'd love we'll... to come back. You must come on our podcast. And I'm always um, disoriented when I meet very reasonable capitalists. So. <laughs> <laughs> Look I'll forward have to, to it. <laughs> I'll have to use that label somewhere. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Emily, thanks again. Uh, and thanks to everyone for listening. And we'll be back next Thanks, week. Mike. That was great. Thank you. Thank you.